This podcast brought to you by Basecrete, leaders in waterproof bond coatings for the swimming pool and construction industry. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Pool Magazine Podcast. I'm with Stephen Little today, owner of Claro Pools in Palm Desert. Hey, thanks for joining us, Stephen. Thank you for the invite. Hey, Stephen, I wanted to talk to you because honestly, you know, you're, you got a pretty healthy sized pool service business down there in Palm Desert. Isn't that right? We do. We, we have about 2,300 discrete customers on service. So when I say, hey, you know, are you a kind of company that has their finger on the pulse of what's going on in the pool industry? That'd probably be a pretty accurate assessment. I, I like to believe we're connected to the pool industry nationally. We have some, some pretty big initiatives and I moderate some other types of initiatives and, and talk to pool guys and gals all over the country, usually daily. So I'd like to think I have my pulse on the pool industry nationally and where we're going. I think that's how you wound up on my radar to begin with, Stephen, as I've seen a lot of material that you guys have posted on Instagram. Hey, I wanted to ask you a question. Honestly, there's been a lot of rumors going around about shortages in the pool industry, all right? Equipment shortages, components like valves and returns and sweeps and things like that. People are just having a hard time getting their hands on a lot of essentials that go in the pool. Are you seeing the same kind of struggles in your market? We, we are to a certain extent, but I think that any pool service professional that partners with distribution and really keeps those channels of dialogue open all the time has found a way to work around shortages that are very apparent. I have some unique thoughts about why we are suffering through these shortages, and I'd love to explain that. Yeah, sure. I mean, honestly, I mean, that's really why I invited you on the show is I wanted to get some kind of perspective from somebody who's in the trenches, you know? I, I, I would like to offer that perspective. Generally speaking, you know, economics 101 would suggest that when you have a historic or a greater demand than supply, prices are going to go up. When prices go up, we then have a greater demand generally in this industry. And then we have even a less supply. So we've got a couple of things going on, Joan, and I think it's a great question. So the first thing that we, we really should look at is for the last couple of decades, we have not been populating the trenches in manufacturing. Kids have been pushed to go to college, 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 and it's having some implications in the pool industry and other service trades that really have yet to be understood and that we won't understand yet. So we've got less people entering into the trades, including manufacturing, which is a, a labor shortage problem. And then you've got COVID came to the scene last spring. And so with the shelter in place orders, folks are now required to stay at home. I mean, it's been pretty, pretty tough here in California, requirements to stay home. So no traveling. And so now people are turning to their backyards and they're creating their vacation or their paradise in their backyard. And then you couple that with manufacturers have shut down because of shelter in place orders. So manufacturers aren't producing. When they are producing, they're already short labor. The demand, because people are stuck at home, right, has left historic recoil in the pool industry and through the manufacturing of, of products for the pool industry. You know, you, then you have other problems like the big fire in Louisiana that took BioLab off, the Texas freeze in December, which created even more historic demand. But the underlying problem is historic labor shortages because of some political influence to go to college, which college is great, but manufacturing is great too. Then with historic demand, and it's really left uh, the last 12 months or 15 months uh, tough to get the products that we are so accustomed to getting easily. As, an, as a CEO of Claro Pool, I'm accustomed to making a call to distribution. 
and saying, I want X, 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 and X, expecting it to be delivered within 60 minutes. That is not the case anymore. There has to be some strategy and some thought behind what we're buying, where we're buying it. And I, I've been successful with a strategic partnership with my distributor. I know a lot of guys have a big trouble getting their hands on PVC these days. Are you seeing the same thing? Well, you know, PVC, yes, we are. And PVC is, there's a larger problem getting PVC, but it's the, the chemicals behind creating PVC is part of the problem. The demand is part of the problem. The manufacturing is part of the problem. But yes, PVC is a problem. And we've seen price increases across the board in all fittings, in uh, filters and pumps and things made of PVC. Yeah, we, PVC has been a problem. How is that impacting your day-to-day, Stephen? I mean, honestly, you can't maintain price structures with customers when you know, you're not getting the same prices from the distributors. Well, I have to try to be the prognosticator of things that are going to happen because we enter into these maintenance agreements early in the year and we try to keep uh, prices level throughout the year. But you're right. It has been shock and awe because we've had uh, double and triple digit increases in the products and pieces that we buy from labor to PVC to uh, dry chlorine products to parts and equipment that we need for ourselves and that we need for the, the production to the customer straight across the board. We've seen you know upwards of triple digit increases. And so how does it work? I think that open dialogue I, I spoke about with your, your distributorship or your supply chain also requires an open, honest dialogue with your customers. And if you have that relationship where that can exist, I think that when you talk to them and say, this is where we're at, and these are the facts surrounding where we're at, I haven't had many problems yet. Hey, are you getting any pushback, you know, from anybody that you've had to raise prices with? Like, you know, Mrs. Jones, I know, you know, you were quoted that your pool service was going to cost X amount, but now it's got to cost, you know, this amount. I mean, are you seeing any uh, red flags on that end? Absolutely. Uh, as I said, we take care of about 2,300 discrete individual swimming pools in people's backyards and small hotels and commercial projects. But here, each swimming pool gets a service visit two times weekly or 104 times a month. And so you're talking about 10,000 stops a month. You know, we're, we're cleaning 10,000 pools a month. And I see people push back and they don't understand why the cost is what the cost is. Now, at my organization, I've made some changes to the pricing structure to build value to our customers. So there have been some customers that just flat out can't afford the increase. And we're working with them to help them understand what services they can provide to their pool in between the times a professional has to visit in order to keep the costs low. We've worked with people switching them from credit card payments to ACH payments, keep the costs low. We've started to bundle ancillary things like filter cleanings and phosphate removers into our normal service in order to try to build greater value and not have to raise the price as much as possible. So strategic acquisition of the supplies we need and open and honest dialogue with our our client and our distributorship network, our supply chain. And we've seen some recoil. Absolutely, we've seen some pushback. But- Have I had one client yet tell me we need to stop our service because we can't afford it? Absolutely not. Steven, I mean, honestly, your story is kind of unique from what I'm hearing because a lot of people I know are just letting their full service go because they can't afford it. And that's the last thing that we want in the industry is for people to start letting these bodies of water just sit idle like that and not be well maintained. I mean, that in itself creates a tremendous health hazard. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. You know, the the reason that early on pool service people were declared essential frontline workers is 
Think about the absolute catastrophe of having a million bodies of water breeding mosquitoes and disease, right? So, you know, the, the mosquito vector districts in and around this area and other areas throughout California and the nation, you know, they pay attention to little bodies of water and, you know, little bird baths and ponds. But let's just throw 8 million or 10 million swimming pools that are green and full of algae and bacteria into the mix. And you're going to cause something that is a nuclear pandemic, right? Yeah. Uh, my, my, my response to your statement about it being unique is, Look, it's not been without challenges. I am having meetings every single day with homeowners who say, I can't afford it. And we're looking at how do we solve those problems? So I 100% validate what you're saying. It has been a challenge. And every day we're having these conversations. But every day, uh, as the you know, leader of this organization, I am, I am tasked with, and it's incumbent upon me, to place people and their safety before money and we will find a way, period. Yeah. Paragraph that's a that's great statement, Stephen. Yeah, I mean, it's about being proactive versus reactive, really. Right. Yes. Well, what are some other struggles that you've had? You know, I mean, like COVID has been hitting everybody hard in different ways. I mean, on the pool builder side, the saying is, you know, make hay when the sun is shining. These guys are killing it. You know, but I mean, on the service side, I know you guys have had some serious struggles this year. I think the struggles are more acute. And, and to go backwards for a minute, I've been a California licensed pool builder for 25 years. I don't build pools. I don't engage in that, that sector of our business. You know, my business is swimming pool maintenance and repairs. And, and I would say that, yes, pool builders are killing it. Yes, they're doing a great job. But I think that there are also stories of how pool builders are suffering. And the, the common struggle is access to skilled labor. You know, if, if we're not going to have labor, who cares if we get product, right? Yeah, absolutely. So there are some great leaders in our industry that are making inroads to creating uh, national training programs and accreditation programs and credentialing programs that will pay off in spades in a decade, right? So yeah. I think that one of the common struggles between swimming pool contractors that build pools and swimming pool contractors that are pool professionals in the maintenance world is there's the, the common problem is absolutely access to skilled, trained labor. Once we have access to skilled, trained labor, then we have to have access to labor that is motivated to go out there and do the job. One of the unspoken things that people don't want to talk about out of shyness or fear of political retribution is that our legislators around the country have set up these systems by which potential employees are paid more to stay home than to go to work, right? And in the beginning of this pandemic, before we understood what it was, it was important that people stayed home. But it is possible to protect your employees, protect your clients, and put them in a workplace. But when an employee can go say, I can make $25 an hour to stay home in perpetuity because of the way that the state government or the county government has set up unemployment, or I can go to work and make 20 bucks an hour, generally speaking, that's not even a a topic of conversation. They won't even come in for an application. So access to skilled labor is one of the problems common, I think, about across the whole industry in both sectors of the industry. In the swimming pool service industry, you know, chlorine, liquid chlorine has always been ubiquitous and fairly inexpensive relative to what it costs to produce it. And I have a great partnership with liquid chlorine manufacturers. So we don't have problems with access to liquid chlorine. Uh, we have problems with uh, access to bottles and shells and the plastics that make up the transportation of liquid chlorine. That's where the real problem lies, and people aren't thinking about that. 
are you are you recommending other strategies to customers to help them save money? I mean, like I know tabs are a fortune right now and they're hard to find. So I, I know a lot of guys are switching to liquid chlorine and they're doing some other uh, tactics like borates and things like that. I mean, are you, are you recommending any of these kind of strategies to customers? Well, so my educational background, just to be fair, is I hold a master's degree in organic chemistry. Right? I'm a chemist by training. I've implemented and employ strategies like H3BO3 or hydrogen borate across every pool. It's part of my value proposition. Borates, period. It reduces chlorine demand. When you buffer alkalinity and you keep the alkalinity stable and the pH stable, we can keep healthier pools with less chlorine introduction. I've never been a big fan of dry chlorine products. And frankly, I've tried them all. In 2018, forgive me, I switched my entire company over to Cal Hypo and the precipitate of calcium out of the water was such a problem that it was problem after problem. And I was constantly on the defensive trying to solve these calcium problems. So I moved away from that. So then we tried sodium dichlor or sodium trichlor, right? And so, and and the problems with that is the the absolute over addition of cyanuric acids, right? So I think that the answer is it requires a healthy mix of layers of different oxidizers and sanitizers, but I'm absolutely encouraging people to look to liquid chlorine as a ubiquitous, used to be less expensive solution to this problem. Uh, And if we all handle liquid chlorine and we have honest uh, conversations and dialogue with our distribution network and our supply chain, I think we're going to get through this and we're going to come out of it okay that doesn't mean this summer won't be a summer of challenges. And I, I really think it will. Yeah, well, I mean, just to educate some of the people that may be listening on this this podcast that we're having, some of the challenges that these guys have been facing are tremendous price hikes uh, that have come from some of the largest distributors. And that is predicted to increase the price of chlorine tabs probably by another 50 to 60% by July. All right. So this is the this is the challenge that these guys are facing right now. I think that the challenge for the the nation as a whole is there's a wide swath of pools are only open for a short amount of time throughout the year. And those pools can be treated with trichlor for the amount of time that they're open. Right. So it's, it's become a, a part of the status quo. It's just what we do and what we've done for 30, 40, 50 years is to treat these pools with trichlor and the access to trichlor is so limited. I think that you're undershooting the price increases we'll see. If you look back to July of 2020, August of 2020, I don't re- recall off the top of my head, September of 2020, a 50 pound bucket of domestically produced trichlor, right? We're right. selling for $80, right? The same bucket of not domestically produced trichlor, which is a worse quality product, mm-hmm. right? Which has got more fillers and more garbage inside the, the product is double that today. I mean, their market's paying 160, 170, $180 for a less expensive, worse manufactured product of trichlor than what we were paying six months ago. And, and I think that it's going to double again before the end of this summer. Yeah. Goldman Sachs released a pretty m- modest report. All right. Like they, they, what I felt was like they were hedging their bets with their numbers. But yeah, I would, def- I would definitely agree. 50 to 60% is the minimum of the spectrum of what consumers can expect to see by midsummer. And, and when you have prices like that, if you're not talking to the people who are consuming your product or service, and you're not letting them know what's coming down the, the pipe, or if you're not letting them know, 
we're just doing a disservice to the industry because for far too often, our industry has been considered, oh yeah, there's the pool boy and I can get another pool boy. If I don't like this one's attitude or his shoes or the way he treats, or if they don't follow my protocols, I'll just get another pool boy, another pool boy, another pool boy. And you know, that attrition has caused communication problems. And so until we get cohesive communication between the pool professional servicing pools and we're communicating professional standards to the people who are consuming the service of swimming pools, we're going to continue to flounder around and have these problems. But the reality is we've got to be in front of this issue. We've got well, to be communicating to our customers. Stephen, you're in the trenches. Who's at the forefront of that? I mean, who's really uh, advocating for these guys? I don't know that there's anyone advocating for the pool service industry correctly. I think that the PHTA is doing a good job in what they're doing. I was a member of the CPSA, which has recently joined into the PHTA. So I now am a member of the PHTA. I don't integrate with them a lot. I don't see a lot of communication from them on the West Coast. I, I think that they, they make an effort to do it. And I think there's a bunch of organizations. IPSA is trying very hard to educate their members so that their members can go out and educate the consumers. UPA again, trying very hard to educate their members to go out and educate consumers. I think that what the National Swimming Pool Foundation did before it was absorbed and became part of PHTA was pretty remarkable. I you think that- Stephen, you remember the drought we had, right? You remember, I remember the drought. Yeah, you're in Cali. So you remember how pool builders came out in droves to lobby and for changing legislation, all right, and changing the story and perception in the market that the building of in-ground pools was actually saving water. I mean, I think the same thing needs to happen from the service side, all right, and also also from the builder side. I mean, these guys are getting hit just as bad, all right, because a lot of credible builders are taking it in the eye right now because they just can't get their hands on materials, man, and it's causing a delay in construction. I think that that's a valid point. And I think if we could find some way to close ranks within the organization or the service sector, if we could find a way to close ranks and communicate effectively, we could really have a profound impact on everything that we're all doing together. Hey, Stephen, I know that you're involved in a lot of other things, not just uh, the pool uh, service business that you're doing. You also run a nonprofit, isn't that right? I do. I do. I, I've, I've been running a nonprofit for a, more than a decade. I own and operate a nonprofit swim school and a national organization which teaches kids to swim. And I'm, I'm proud to say this year that we have uh, eclipsed 55,000 scholarships that we've paid for. We've taught 55,000 kids how to swim in the last 10 years. That's incredible. Uh, and that, that spans across markets in Dallas, Orlando, Palm Springs, the Coachella Valley. Largely, most of it's been in the Coachella Valley uh, and Southern California, but Orange County, Los Angeles County, and, and other markets in the Sunbelt. You know, that really is my why. It's the reason I get out of bed in the morning, because I have the opportunity to have an impact on the, the problem I seek to solve. The problem I seek to solve is preventable injuries and deaths and fatalities in swimming pools. We all earn our livings from swimming pools. And if, if the industry wants to close ranks and come together and start saying one word or saying one thing, we need to come together on drowning prevention. We need to come together right now because there is a problem to solve and there's a very inexpensive solution. So this year in 2021, I started something called the 55-5 campaign. 
So because the Swim to Win initiative, which is the organization I started, eclipsed 55,000 kids and scholarships that we've taught to swim. And because my dear friend, Lori Lawrence, started that organization called the Kids Alive Do the Five, which has done a remarkable job in Australia. And that's a fun little ditty. And I'm happy to even sing it on social media. But the Kids Alive Do the Five. So 55,000 scholarships, Kids Alive Do the Five. It takes 55 bucks to teach a kid to swim. USA Swimming has said over and over and over again, 88% of all babies and children and young adults are drown proof with eight lessons. So 55,000 lessons, Kids Alive Do the Five, five industry partners. So Pool Corp, Hasa, Pintair, Fluidra, and, and Swim to Win and Stephen Little, we've all come together, five industry leaders, and we've pledged to raise $55,000 to teach 1,000 kids to swim in the first 55 days of summer, 2021. We I started think it's a this fantastic initiative. initiative, man. Where's a we, good we, place? Where's a good place for people who want to contribute or who want to make a donation? I have a small Facebook group called the Business of Swimming, and its function is to get one message out. And so in the business of swimming, where we derive our livings, I ask you folks to donate 55 bucks to change a child's life. The money goes directly to USA Swimming, uh, and I can help steer that money. Money goes directly to USA Swimming, and we can turn the tide on that which we derive our livings from right here, right now. I appreciate you giving us the time today, Stephen, and giving us your perspective on what is going on out there with all these shortages. I think it's a great thing that they're doing. Remember, folks, May is National Water Safety Month, so it's a time right now where pool companies can make a difference. Thanks again so much for joining us, and a big thank you to our sponsor, BaseCrete, the leaders in waterproof bond coatings for the swimming pool industry. Make sure to catch you on next episode of Pool Magazine Podcast, where I'll be talking with one of the leading designers in the industry, Randy Angel. Believe me, that's one you do not want to miss. That's all the time we have today. We'll catch you next time on another episode of Pool Magazine Podcast.